0: You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 this morning. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Uh, in the house I grew up in, there was a, there was a lake behind our backyard. And I remember in, it was in probably like 8th or 9th grade, uh, my parents bought a paddle boat. I wanted them to get a canoe. I thought that might give a little bit more speed, but uh, they went with a paddle boat. Um, but it was kind of a neat paddle boat in that it, it came with this little motor that was attached to it, a little battery-powdered uh, motor so that you could get a little bit more speed at least. And I remember my, my cousin had come to visit and I was really close with uh, uh, my cousins and we, we decided we were going to take the paddle boat out. And um, I remember my, my dad did not want us to take it out on this particular Day there was a storm in the forecast, uh, but we we just pressed and pleaded, and uh, you know teenagers just desiring independence and and all that. We we pressed and he and he gave in, but he but he warned us and said, listen, don't don't take it out very far and don't go out very long because you know the weather isn't good. So, uh, but I I was a a typical teenager, maybe even uh, somewhat exceptional in that. uh, At this point, I had a very exceptionally high opinion. Of myself and my own instincts and my own knowledge and, and what I what I knew. So uh, we took the pedal boat onto the lake and uh, we found that combining you know the power of the motor with the power of our uh, uh, pedaling actually gave us good momentum. We we got in out into uh, this part of the lake and, and we just stopped and we just laid back and looked up and um, uh, it was just it was really nice. We caught up and 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 talked and just sort of floated there in the water. It was really nice. And um uh, I don't remember how long we, we sit we sat there, but time passed, there was quite a bit of time, and um uh, uh we uh, we kinda noticed that the clouds started getting a little bit darker and uh we weren't that bothered or alarmed, but I remember looking up at the sky and deciding, you know, maybe we'll start to head a little bit closer, the wind kinda started picking up a little bit. And uh I remember sitting up and realizing that we had actually drifted further than I thought, you know, you could kind of tell we were, were floating, but from the perspective of a boat, the land, uh, unless you're looking close, you don't realize kind of how, how far you're going. So come to find out, we're actually quite a bit far. We have, we've got a much longer paddle back than we even took out. Uh, but now we've got this wind, and, uh, the, the wind's actually working against us. So now here we are, these two teenagers, uh, heading, heading back, trying to get back, and, and the wind's picking up more, and, but hey, no big deal, right? Because we've got this motor. On, on the paddle boat, and uh, the wind picks up a little bit more. And, and I'm sure it wasn't simultaneous, but in my mind, it was like simultaneous that uh, that the motor died, battery powered motor, and the rain started. It seemed, it seemed like simultaneously died, rain. So so now here we are. We're we're halfway, only halfway back, as far as we need to to get. We're, we're paddling into the wind. Uh, we have no motor. Uh, it's, it's raining. We're getting wet. It's, it's, we're getting cold. Uh, and it seems like we're getting nowhere because we're paddling into the wind. Uh, and uh, we, we know that in the forecast, it's not just rain that's, that's scheduled in the forecast. There's even something worse in the forecast. And in that moment, it dawned on me I had been foolish and I had been prideful and I had neglected my dad's Warning, And now I was in a very bad situation. At least it seemed pretty bad. And this morning, we're going to look at the opening verses of Hebrews 2, which contain a different kind of a warning. A different kind of warning. Hebrews 2, 1-4. through Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Father, we ask that You would bless us now as we consider Your perfect and holy and infallible Word. God, our tendency is not toward You, but our tendency is to drift in our flesh. And even to drift in terms of hearing what You have to say to us. So would You uh, give all of us clarity and attention and focus and even an eagerness to hear from you right now we pray in jesus name amen so hebrews 2 doesn't uh, just fall out of the sky it it exists in a context very naturally hebrews 10 or hebrews 2 follows hebrews chapter 1 and uh, in hebrews chapter 1 uh, we we've seen that, that Jesus uh, is 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 set up in Hebrews chapter one as supreme as as better than anything else. Uh, his, his supremacy is put on display. His majestic glory is put on display in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, but he, he's, he's supreme by virtue of the fact that He's the Son of God, and, and He is the supreme prophet and the supreme priest who's made sacrifice and propitiation for sins, and He's the supreme king who sits on the throne that will go forever. He, he's also supreme by virtue of the fact that, that He's the Son of David, And that that He has inherited the name of the promised Davidic king that's even greater than angels. Even greater than the great and mighty angels. And after after putting on display the majestic glory of Jesus in chapter 1, the author here in chapter 2 turns to a warning for believers. And and we're confronted with with a troubling reality here in Hebrews chapter 2. And that's that. Christians fall away professing Christians fall away uh, this isn't surprising this isn't the only place in scripture where we 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 see this uh, Jesus addressed this in many ways uh, just one example you know he he, he gives the parable of the soils where you have uh, of course one kind of seed that's uh thrown on the path that that doesn't bear any fruit but then you have these three other seeds that fall in these three other contexts the the thorns and the rocks and the good soil and these all produce fruit at least at least for a time but there's only one kind of fruit that ultimately lasts and that ultimately bears lasting fruit so we we know this from from other parts of scripture that that Christians fall away we know this from our own personal experience you probably know Christians who have Fallen away, people who have professed faith in Christ, but uh, over time and through different circumstances have fallen away. We, we know that Christians fall away sometimes abruptly sometimes it's it's very conscious and abrupt they either, uh, they hear some argument or they, they encounter something in the Bible and then there 's an abrupt rejection of Christ. sometimes that happens but but more often it 's a slow and subtle drift away from Christ so this morning if we were, if we we're going to boil down the the message of of at least these four verses in Hebrews 2 to to three words the author is warning these Christians don't drift away don't drift Away. And, and his argument, we can see it in verses 2 and 3, his argument is don't drift away because since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So this morning we're going to look at three things that you can see here in your notes. We're going to look at the message declared by angels, the message declared by the Lord, and then thirdly, the message we must not neglect. So first of all, the message declared by angels. What is the message declared by angels? Verse two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. What is this? Well, this is getting at the old covenant. This is getting at the law. So once again, as we read the book of Exodus and, and we see God miraculously rescue his people out of Egypt and, 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 and bring them through the Red Sea safely and bring them to Mount Sinai and, and, and meet them with with great power and, and wonders. And uh, it's at this point, He gives them the Ten Commandments. Uh, we don't see angels in the narrative as we read through Exodus, but it's from other parts of Scripture, uh, partic- particularly New Testament texts, that we understand that as all of this happened through Leviticus and, and through the, the rest of the narrative, that th- there's a sense in which you have Moses and the Israelites and you have God and that you have this, this covenant and this law that's mediated by angels. So the, the the law representing the Old Covenant, was, was there's a sense in which it was declared by angels is what, what he's saying here in verse 2. And, and what's the point of it, of being declared by angels? Well, the, the author's point is that the message that was declared by them was reliable. It was reliable. So if, if we look back into Hebrews 1, if, if uh, you were here and we looked at some of these uh some of these passages in Hebrews 1 you've got these contrasts between the old covenant and the new covenant that that's continuing on in ver, in uh, chapter 2 here it's not like he's he's totally forgotten that so you have this uh, old covenant new covenant comparison right this this covenant uh, that was marked by prophecy that was in many parts and in many ways and uh we and now that's compared with a complete and and final uh revelation all right, we have uh, here now. We have the old covenant that's characterized by angelic mediators, and, and now with the new covenant that has has the Lord Himself, the Messiah, has come as the mediator. And, and the conclusion of Hebrews one was that Jesus is better, and in all these ways, better priest, better king, better prophet. He he he's always better. But it's important to recognize what the author's getting at here in chap- in chapter two is that al- although Jesus is better. Although the message revealed by the Son is better, the message revealed by angels was still reliable. Even though it was only partial, even though it was incomplete, it was still very reliable. And we know it was reliable, the author points to at the end of verse 2, because every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Every transgression received a just retribution of the message that was declared by angels. And this, this was true both in theory and it was true in practice. So written into the Old Testament law that we read about in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it, written into that law what was just retribution for transgressions and, and disobedience. So that if, if you, create, if you, if you uh, had a major, uh, major rebellion, a major transgression, You've got the death penalty. That's a sign for these major transgressions. Or if maybe it's a minor offense, you still have just retribution. You had to probably sacrifice some sort of animal, and you had to make some sort of restitution between you and whoever you had wrong. And that's written right into the law. So there's a sense in which, in the law, you've got just retribution. But but it was also true in practice as well. Like this actually happened because as you as we read through the law, as we read through. Uh, those those books, those opening first books of the Bible, uh, we see both promises of of blessing and promises of of cursing depending on how the people respond so as as the people received the law at Mount Sinai in exodus, uh, there was a sense in which that were they were going to go into the land and if, if they were they're going to honor the law and if they would love the Lord with all of their hearts, they were promised these wonderful blessings. they were promised this land flowing with milk and honey and uh, they, they were promised that the rains would come and, and bring them good crops, and they were promised that uh, they would be protected from their enemies. They would even be protected from wild animals and beasts, and, and the Lord would, would dwell in their presence. And, and there's a sense in which they would be in, uh, they would experience this Eden-like state again. But if they forsook the Lord and they, they, they ignored his commands, there was promises of curses. You can read about these blessings and curses in, in chapters like uh, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Uh, the, the, the curses were essentially the opposite. If, if they did not take the Lord seriously and if they neglected the covenant, there would be judgment. Judgment that would ultimately end, God promised, and in, in God ripping them from the land. So that we, we even read 700 years later, Uh, Like in the prophet Jeremiah, God saying, Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land that neither you nor your fathers have known. Or I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known. And and so God kept His promise. There was a just retribution for forsaking the Old Covenant. The Israelites received a just retribution for their disobedience. So, So the Old Testament message declared by angels, it was... Reliable. It's reliable because everything received a just retribution, both in theory, both in theory and in practice. So, this, this leads us to the apex of the argument here in verse, verses two and three. If you're just gonna paraphrase, paraphrase the argument, here's what he's saying. He's saying that if those who received a message from angels received a just retribution, how shall we escape who've heard a message that was declared by the Lord himself? They heard a message declared by angels. We have heard a message declared by the Lord Himself. We'll, necler- well, we're just, we'll return to the concept of neglecting this great salvation, but let's, let's turn and secondly look at the message declared by the Lord. What is this message declared by the Lord? Uh, there, there's an argument here that if it's true that the angels' message was reliable, the Lord's message is reliable. In, in, in Hebrews 1, we were shown that uh, Jesus is greater than angels, so certainly if the angel's message was reliable, the one who is greater, his message is reliable too. So therefore, it's even more foolish to neglect this covenant because this covenant represents great salvation. Uh, a greater, much greater salvation. Then he gives three reasons why it's, it's so foolish to neglect this great salvation. First of all, it's because it was declared by the Lord Himself. Uh, if you receive a message from an God that's delivered through an angel, that's certainly a great thing. And it's certainly a great thing if, if you neglect and reject that message from God delivered through angels. But if God comes and delivers to you a message Himself, if He comes down and, and, and personally delivers the message, now you've received a message from the Lord in an even greater sense and to reject or neglect that message is is to neglect it in a much greater sense so it's foolish to neglect this great salvation because the Lord Himself declared it. It's also foolish to neglect it because it was it was confirmed by eyewitnesses. Uh, what we get the picture here is that uh, the the Hebrews, the people to whom this was written, they they did not know or hear Jesus speak personally, but they did hear from people who had heard him speak personally, who were able to confirm what he said and what he didn't say. So this was a this this is a very sure word that they that they heard. They should they would be foolish to neglect this message. Not only because the Lord declared it Himself, because but because it wasn't this. It's not like this was some myth that was this passed down. The Lord declared it Himself, and people who had actually heard Him speak had given their testimony to these Christians. And thirdly, He says not only was it confirmed by eyewitnesses, but in verse four we see it was also confirmed by the Lord Himself. How do we know that Jesus, how how do we really know that Jesus was Lord? How do do we know that the Hebrews who received this letter, how do we know that, or how did, how are they supposed to know that he wasn't just some charismatic figure who, who had kind of taken some, some of these eyewitnesses who saw him? Well, the answer is because his words and actions were accompanied by signs and wonders. So it's one thing to claim to be God. Someone comes and they claim to be God. Okay. It's a whole other thing to come and claim to be God and back up that claim with demonstrations of authority over nature and demonstrations of authority over sickness and death and, and demonstrations of authority over, over the spiritual realm. Uh, not only that, but demonstrating your authority by, by actually delegating supernatural powers to, to other people. Uh, he didn't just show up claiming to be Lord. That was backed up by signs and wonders miracles, spiritual gifts. Uh, it's important to note the this, this signs and wonders language. It's not the only place this, this occurs in, in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, we, we have other things being described with these exact same language, signs and wonders. So the Exodus that we've already talked about is described in terms of signs and wonders. Uh, not only the Exodus, which was a kind of salvation, but, but true prophecy was also accompanied by these these words, signs and and wonder. So there's this important pattern here. What, what, what we take notice of is that when God acts or speaks at, at significant points in redemptive history, He authenticates Himself with great supernatural power. So so rivers turn into blood, and and locusts cover the face of the ground, and and seas split in two, and 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 cities crumble before armies that uh, don't actually even have to go up and fight against it. Uh, little boys. Kill giant warriors. Uh, Syrian kings get healed of, of leprosy. Once again, signs and wonders, and and of course, miracles is what we have here, and, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those accompanied both salvation and prophecy in the Old Testament. The Exodus was a kind of salvation. It was an earthly salvation, but it was a, a kind of salvation. If, if it accompanied, if signs and wonders accompanied those things in the Old Testament, certainly, when the ultimate salvation has come, it would accompany that as well. So you, of course when Jesus comes, of course when the ultimate prophet, priest, and kings come, we have signs and wonders. Of course when the ultimate prophet, distinguished from the prophets who spoke to our fathers long ago, of course when He comes, that's accompanied by signs and wonders. So this this great message that's declared by the Lord, this great salvation which is connected to Hebrews 1, it should not be neglected because it was not merely declared by an angel or even a prophet. It was declared by God's Son, the Lord. Uh, it's not that it's, it's been declared by some obscure charlatan who no one really even knows, but it's been delivered by one who actually existed in human history and who was confirmed by eyewitness, numerous eyewitnesses who saw and verified what he did. Uh, it's not just like any message that was delivered, but it was delivered with, with the particular and, and wonderful signs, wonders, marriage goals, and and spiritual gifts. So this leads us to the third point. Because if the old covenant declared by angels in a sense, if that represents a kind of light salvation, a a lighter salvation, the new covenant message declared by the Lord represents this great salvation. You look at verse 14 of chapter 1, the last verse in in Hebrews 1. We see that this salvation is so great that, that even the great angels actually serve those who inherit this salvation. It's so great. So, so the blessings of this salvation are great. There was blessings and curses in the old covenant. The blessings of this are, are, are much greater. But just as the blessings are much greater, the curses are much greater. The the old covenant punishments were earthly. God God promised in the old covenant that there would be death and exile for neglecting that covenant. In this new covenant, the punishments seem to be, in a sense, heavenly. We we have Jesus promising eternal death for those who neglect this new covenant. And the weight of all this theology, it settles on us very practically and very urgently in light of the majestic glory of God's Son that's depicted in Hebrews chapter 1. And all the wonderful and terrible implications of who He is. The message to us here in these first four verses of chapter 2 is clear. Don't Drift away. Don't drift away. If you look at verse 1, the author gives us both what we should do and what we should not do fairly helpfully, actually. What we should do and what we should not do. Let's look first at what we should not do. We should not drift away. We should not neglect this great salvation. Uh, what, what's drifting? What, what pictures does that bring to mind? Drifting. At least one of the pictures it needs to bring them Man, is that of a, that of a ship, right? This is, uh, what we call nautical language. It's, yeah, we, we picture a ship. But you picture a ship that, that's anchored in this harbor that, that comes detached from, from its anchor. Right? And this isn't a dramatic scene, alright? Don't, this isn't dramatic. There's no storm, there's no pirates, uh, there's no great whale or squid or something like that. This is a ship calmly Floating in serene waters in a harbor, that that becomes detached from its anchor, and it slowly starts drifting out into sea. And if, if from the ship's perspective, uh, this is this is slow. There's there's not much cause for alarm. But but the the land this just gets greater and greater. The distance gets greater and greater and greater. And from the perspective on on land, you see the ship that that starts to float out a little bit. There's no cause for alarm. At least. At first, but the ship just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as, as it drifts away until it disappears over the horizon. And if we don't heed this warning in Hebrews 2, that will be the story of our spiritual life. That may be the current status of your spiritual life. What does drifting look like. Let's put some categories on what this drifting can look like. Uh, we can have theological drifting. Uh, when, when Jesus offers us forgiveness through, through acknowledgement that, uh, that our only hope is in His righteousness and, and through repentance of our sins, uh, when He offers us that hope, uh, He's also calling us uh, to change our theology. Every single human being has theology. And, and, and the call to repent and believe in Christ is a call to change your theological understanding of, of the world. Theological drifting happens as we slowly loosen our grip on critical theological doctrines. So, just for example, uh, the doctrine of God. You take the doctrine of God and you, uh, you you look at the immense human suffering in the world and maybe even the suffering that you've experienced personally and you start to ask yourself you know why would god allow all of this suffering why would in fact why would god create a world where, where humans experience such great suffering these are incredibly difficult questions but you start to think you know i i wonder it, perhaps perhaps god didn't quite realize all of the implications Of creating a world. Maybe he didn't quite realize all of the implications of sin that that could happen in this scenario. Maybe, Maybe God doesn't quite know the future like we've traditionally believed in Christianity. And thoughts like that simmer and simmer slowly and subtly. And but before too long, God becomes. Smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that there there is no way that he can actually save us in the way that that scripture presents to us, or maybe it's the the doctrine of humanity or things connected to the doctrine uh, of humanity you know we, we are we're modern people here, and then uh, uh, we're, we're existing in this world where the moral landscape's changing uh, right before our our eyes, but we start to ask ourselves, you know can homosexuality really be a sin, you know. How could something that, that seems uh, that seems so natural and so good to someone actually be wrong? You know, maybe God never really had in mind, you know, our modern understandings of of sexual orientation and and, uh, and things like this. Perhaps, perhaps uh, the homosexuality that's condemned in the Bible is really just connected to something that's ancient and slowly. Uh, an aspect of human identity that, that was created to, to reflect God's image and God's glory is, is rejected. And not only that, but, but slowly human experience elevates and lifts itself up as, as the ultimate authority and the ultimate interpretive guide through which we, we interpret God's world. Or maybe it's the doctrine of salvation. This, the doctrine of salvation is what these Christians at least were in the most danger of, of neglecting. So these, these are Hebrews, right? These are Jewish converts who certainly had a, uh, at, at least before they became Christians, had a very, very large appreciation for the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and all the implications of that. Uh, but we can even connect with this. There's a sense in which as as conservative Christians, we can have an appreciation for uh, black and white and, and and knowing wanting to know what we should do and not do and uh, we start looking at the Old Testament and the commands given in the Old Testament and you know we start to wonder you know God gave these God gave these commands uh, because they were good we know that they were good and and uh you know they, they must they must please him you know perhaps if we're not doing them we're actually not pleasing him as as much as we as much as we could be you know for Perhaps it's you know, we're free in Christ, but, but maybe we could actually be closer to God if, if we, we took the law more seriously and if it played a larger role in our Christian lives. I know that there's people connected to our church who believe this or think like this. But but that slowly simmers for a while and, and very subtly and slowly the the perfect prophet, priest, and king that we see in hebrews 1 he slowly abandoned for revelation that that's characterized by times long ago and times before this great salvation there there's always a domino effect in terms of our theology you abandon or you you start to lose your grip on one aspect of theology and affects other areas. You start to loosen your grip on the doctrine of humanity and, and the doctrines of scripture and the doctrines of God and the doctrines of salvation, you start to lose those too. You start to loosen your grip on the doctrine of scripture, is the bible really authoritative? Is it really all inspired? Is, is it really all trustworthy? And, and that is that is the key to losing your grip on every single other doctrine revealed in scripture too. So theology matters and drifting Theology is drifting faith. So there's, there's theological drifting. There's also, there's also moral drifting. I have a whole list here, but I, don't, I probably don't even need to go into all these. You know what this is. This is slowly tolerating more and more of what you know is not in conformity with God's will and God's character. This is a, this is a, a comfortability with more and more and more of what you know does not represent God and what God loves and what God has said is, is true and beautiful and lovely. One slowly becomes comfortable with these things. What's, what's the trajectory of, of, of what we choose to entertain ourselves with? Uh, what what are the circumstances surrounding your consumption of alcohol what is the the trajectory of your your sexual purity is it is it steady growth towards christ likeness or is it is it drifting uh, what are the course of the where of, of the way that you're using your your words so is is there more building up or is there there more tearing down is is there more blessing or is there more cursing? Are you using your words more for honesty or, or more for dishonesty? What's the trajectory? Uh, it is amazing what the human heart will justify. We, we are masters at rationalizing sin. And drifting is rationalizing one sin after another sin after another sin after another sin. After another sin. Uh, do you find yourself rationalizing things like this? Saying, you know, I'm free in Christ. I'm, I'm forgiven. This is acceptable. This is acceptable. Uh, it doesn't matter what I do. It matters what Christ did, and there's certainly a sense in which that's true. You know, this just makes the most practical sense. I realize it's not maybe completely in conformity with I know what God wants or what, what God's like, but, but this just makes the most sense for my life. It just makes, it just makes sense to move in with my significant other. Uh, you know, I know God wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy. So if God wants me to be happy and this makes me happy, this must be what He wants for me. Or this isn't that bad. I mean, it's it's not like I'm anything as bad as what some people are. This is just this little thing. I I don't need to worry about this. Or maybe we rationalize it by saying, you know, I am so overwhelmed. I just need this right now. Or, or I've been working so hard lately. I, I just, I just deserve this right now. Or maybe it's rationalizing out of bitterness. You know, God hasn't come through for me very well lately. He must not really care if I engage in this or not. Or one of the most alarming rationalizations I heard somewhat recently, this is actually bringing me closer to God. This is this is something that's actually bringing me closer to God. Uh, listen, if, if you're in a scenario in your life where you're acting contrary to what God has revealed in His Word, and you're justifying it by saying, no, no, this is actually leading me closer to God. Listen, you are not being led by God. You are being led by Satan. If you're in a scenario where you're acting contrary to what the will of God is revealed in Scripture, and you're justifying it by saying, no, this is actually going to bring me closer to God, you're believing the very lies that were told in the Garden of Eden. What did Satan say? Did God really say not to do this? Or in verse 4 of Genesis 3, Satan whispers, you will not truly die. You won't die. Ask yourself, where are you Morally, what, what is the trajectory of your life? Are you drifting? There's just practical drifting too in the Christian life. What's the consistency of your intake of God's Word look like? What's it look like in terms of meditating on God's Word, hearing from God's Word, desiring God's Word? What's the consistency and genuineness of your prayer life? Look like? What's the consistency of your concern for the lost look like and your efforts to reach out in those ways? Uh, wh- what place does the, the church of Christ play in your life? Are you drifting away from God's people? Are you, are you oriented towards the institution that God set up for your good and for His glory? Uh, if you think that the point I'm trying to make is that you, you need to try to create more room, and more space in your room for God, uh, that, that is not what I'm, what I'm trying to get across here. Uh, when you become a Christian, it's not as though your life, uh, now the biggest section of your life belongs to God. Uh, God actually is demanding much, much more from us than that. Uh, to become a Christian is for every single area of our lives to come and be dominated by the God of God of the universe so it's not as though as as if we sometimes think about you you take all of uh, your income and there's this percentage that you know you give to gospel ministry and then this goes to elsewhere it's not as if those are god's dollars and these are our dollars uh, that that is not what christianity looks like what christianity looks like if your dollars represent your life just for the sake of illustration it's that every single dollar every single moment exists for the glory of God. And, it, and it's not as though you can get part of your life that's, that's oriented towards God and, and the rest of this can drift, but every single area of our lives is, is meant to be brought into conformity with who God is and what He has for us in Christ. What is the trajectory of your life? What is the trajectory of your heart the last month, last three months, the last year? Are you on a path of steady growth in Christ's likeness? Or are you drifting? Are you neglecting this great salvation? It's, it's interesting, this, this passage, this is directed towards Christians. We might read this really quickly and think this is a great evangelistic text, right? Listen, Christ has died for your sins. Don't neglect this great salvation. Uh, that, that might preach well. That might, that might go over well. But that, this isn't, that isn't what this is saying. This is directed at... Christians. Uh, this, this is a warning to genuine believers. Uh, this is a warning to people. They haven't necessarily drifted. Uh, the Hebrews who received this letter, they, they haven't necessarily forsaken their faith yet, but there is a real if here. If we neglect such a great salvation, verse 3, there will be no escape. There will be eternal consequences. If you neglect the majestic, glorious sun. There are eternal consequences. And this warning is meant to keep that from happening for us. The, the effect that the author intends for the recipients of this letter and then uh, us as well by extension, uh, he's writing this and it's, it's, this warning is meant to keep us in Christ. We must not drift away. That's what we must not do Let's look at what we must do. And it's at this point, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Right? The, the long, there's certainly a lot of do nots in the Bible. We've just looked at a few. Um, and as simple people, the do nots of the Bible can certainly be overwhelming. They can, they can leave us in despair. And now we're going to turn to the do's. And you might think we're about to be crushed underneath of the weight of not only these do nots, but also the do's. But look what the author tells us to do in verse 1. What must we do? We must pay greater attention to what we have heard. What is what we have heard? What is what the recipients of this letter have heard? What we have heard, verse 1, is verse 3. What was attested to us by those who heard? What we have heard is what was attested to us by those who heard. What we have heard is the Gospel. What we have heard is is the good news of who Jesus is. Who God is for us in Christ. And the Gospel is that we are not ultimately saved by the degree to which we can completely fulfill the do's and do not's. That is not how we're saved. It is not dependent on the degree by which you can bring your life into conformity with who God is. No, 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 no. The Gospel is that Christ Jesus has fulfilled every single do of the law. Christ Jesus has obeyed every do not of the law in our praise. Christ Jesus, He, he has taken on the wrath of God for our sins. He, he has been raised from the dead, defeating our greatest enemy, death. And Christ Jesus now offers us forgiveness and life to everyone who does two things. Trusts in His righteousness and not your own righteousness and secondly, repents of your sin. Uh, repents of your sin. Renounces your sin and, and seeks to follow Christ. So for unbelievers, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, you're, you're here checking out Christianity or you're invited by someone else. Listen, if you're an unbeliever, what, what God has to say to you in this text is you need to recognize the forgiveness that Jesus offers and, and, and finally and decisively Place your hope in Him once and for all. But if you're a believer this morning, this passage is directed to you specifically and personally. And for believers, the message is we must not neglect this great salvation. We must not neglect who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. Listen, it's not just enough to make a decision and move on. Most of us have heard that a lot. Uh, But it it doesn't. It needs to be stated over and over again. It is not enough to make a decision for Christ and 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 move on with the rest of your life. That all that is 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 a a, a spiritual experience, a one-time decision, and then it's just drifting for the rest of your life. That is exactly the kind of theology that this passage is warning against. No, no, no. It's not enough for that. It's not even enough for us to know intellectually that we need the gospel all the time, right? We need to hear the gospel again and again. We need to live in the gospel. It's not even enough to know that intellectually we we do need to know that intellectually but but the case here is that from from the least of us to the greatest of us from the newest christian here to the most seasoned mature christian here we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard we must pay much closer attention to hebrews 1 Uh, it's it's amazing how hebrews 1 uh, sets up hebrews 2 in so many ways and how hebrews 2 points back to hebrews 1 in so many ways. We must pay attention to who Jesus is for us. God's final and definitive Word. Jesus has, has forgived us and achieved forgiveness for us, for our sins once and for all. Uh, Jesus is our perfect King who will reign forever. No one is greater than Jesus. Uh, the author of Hebrews, he, he, he's, concern, he's concerned for the stability of these Jewish Christians who receive this. He, he's concerned for their stability. And, and by extension, his concern reaches to us as well. And his concern here takes the form of a warning. Don't drift away. Your temptation, your, your natural inclination is going to be to drift away in your flesh. The things the things of this world are tantalizing. And, and the affirmation from the world is, is so enticing to us by nature the lies of the devil sound so true and our very nature is bent towards sin and away from God but Jesus is better so the warning here is real that the old covenant message that declared that was declared by angels that was reliable and there were there were great rewards and there were severe and just punishments in that covenant, the new covenant is here and has been declared by one who is greater than angels. It is certainly just as reliable, if not more. And it has greater rewards and it has greater punishments. So that's why this charge to us is necessary. We must not drift away. We must not neglect such a great salvation. We must pay much closer to attention to this glorious God who has saved us. So there was an important lesson in my little paddle boat excursion slash catastrophe. My my dad had had warned me. A warning that was very real and intended to be heard by his son. And I neglected his words to me. And and quite literally, I, I drifted away. In a paddleboat, uh, the story ends with uh, my cousin and I getting very wet and, and cold and flustered and and frankly a, a little terrified for at least a little bit. We we finally did we didn't get all the way back but we finally did make it to shore, uh, starting to see lightning in the distance and uh, uh, waiting for us where even where we we uh, ultimately landed was my dad who was also very wet and also very cold and also very flustered and and frankly very angry with me. Uh, I don't remember the consequences, uh, but I do remember the lesson. The lesson was the, the warnings, warnings from those who love us are not burdens. Warnings from those who love us are not burdens. They're expressions of love. as as one commentator writes on on this passage in Hebrews 2, warnings are not designed to rob people of hope. They're not designed to rob people. This passage is not designed to rob you of hope, but rather to steer you away from danger in order to preserve you so that you might persevere and inherit what has been promised. That is what we're aiming for. We're aiming for what God has so graciously promised us In Christ, we can be like stereotypical teenagers and scorn those who warn us, in this case, God Himself, or we can humble ourselves and we can realize that God only has good in store for us. We can heed this warning and pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Let's pray. Father, apart from Your grace, we will drift. We will most certainly drift. We will not take You seriously. Uh, We we will become enamored with the things in this world. Material things. Forbidden things. Status. Recognition. uh, Ourselves. We, We will not be able to sustain the persecution of Your Word. We we will not be able to sustain on our own and and be able to resist the pleasures of this world. We will drift. And we're in danger of drifting now. Apart from Your grace, we will prove to be plants that are are planted in infertile soil. We, We cannot bear fruit on our own. So... As the song goes, Lord, would You be our vision? Uh, Would our gaze be fixed upon You all of our days? Would You be the Lord of our hearts, not just our minds? Would You be nothing else to us but that which You are, our great God and our great Savior, offering us a great salvation? Would You be our best Thoughts, would You be in all of our thoughts by day and by night and whether we're waking or sleeping would Your presence be our great desire and our great light we, we don't need riches and we don't need man's empty praise You are our inheritance You are our treasure so Lord would You keep us Would You sanctify us? Would You be Thou our vision? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.